Owning a successful business means you meet your goals on a regular basis. But what if you don't have any goals? Or they aren't broken down into milestones that show you're on the right path at the right pace. It's absolutely necessary and really quite simple to set a destination and create a roadmap for your revenue. In this week's episode of Own Your Business, I'll share with you two common pitfalls I see when setting revenue goals, why many sales and pricing plans are not realistic, and a simple reframe on how many weddings you want to book and why it's going to make all the difference. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Do you ever have recurring dreams or maybe they're recurring nightmares? Now, I had a recurring dream, usually a nightmare, when I was in my 20s. As many of you know, I worked in restaurants from the first that I could drive when I was 16 years old until about a dozen years later when I finally moved out of the restaurants into the catering and venue world at the resort that I worked at in Washington State. And my recurring dream in my 20s, when I was working in restaurants, it went something like this. I would go out to a table and I would take their order. I'd have a conversation with them. Everything was going great. But then I'd look over and at another table in my section, I realized that I got sat. And so I couldn't put the food order in or the drink order in for that first table. I had to immediately go to the next table. And then by the time I got done with them, I would get sat a third table and then a fourth and then a fifth and on and on and on it would go. And in the restaurant world, this is called being double sat or triple sat or quadruple sat or whatever it may be. And what happens is that you get everybody started, but you never actually make much progress. Doesn't take a psychotherapist to recognize what's going on in that dream. Ironically, this actually happened one time when I was managing in my first year at the resort that I worked at, the wait staff was being really difficult and they wanted to get off work early on a Friday or Saturday, I don't remember what it was, but they were complaining that it was too slow and that they didn't need to be on staff. And so they wanted to go out and have drinks themselves after work. And I said, you know what? Stop whining and complaining. Just get out of here. I'll handle everything. It was slow enough. So I thought, well, people started coming in. They sat down. I took their drink orders for them because we had no wait staff. It was just me and the bartenders. Well, sure enough, after about 10 or 15 minutes, we had 10, 15 tables on the deck and I was in the weeds. I had done this to myself. I had created my own nightmare. When I was in my 30s, I stopped working at as much as I was and I wasn't in restaurants anymore because I had a kid, Emily, and I wanted to spend more time at home. And so Ironically, my dream, the recurring one, shifted from a restaurant to a house. I had new priorities and I wasn't in the restaurant as much. I was in the house more, but it was still the same kind of dream. I would go from room to room checking in on my family, but the rooms never ended. And I would meet more and more of my family and I would continue to go and go and go. But I would never actually have an opportunity to hang out and sit and connect with them because I was so busy trying to entertain and be with the other people who had just come into the next room. I always felt overwhelmed in my 20s, in my 30s, even now, I still feel overwhelmed. Like you, my default 
is to say yes to too many things. Sometimes I'll, I'll overcommit to people, especially when they're near and dear to my heart. But even with clients, I set poor boundaries. I want to help everybody as much as I possibly can, and I know I can do it, but where do I draw the line? And sometimes I feel guilty about not spending enough time with my kids. This is a different kind of overwhelm. I feel overwhelmed almost with grief of losing the time that I want to spend with them because I'm giving it away to other people. And each day I feel like my to-do list gets longer rather than shorter, even though I'm working 10, 12 hour days sometimes. So here's a little bit about my morning routine. I'm going to tie this in pretty quick here. I get up around five. I spend 15, 20 minutes in bed on my phone, reading the news. I like to do the mini crossword puzzle on the New York Times. I do Wordle and I like to compete against my dad, or I think actually my dad likes to compete against me. And on Fridays, we do the news quiz and that's really a showdown. But once I'm done with that, then I move downstairs into my office. I meditate for about 10 minutes using the call map. And then I go to a journal. It's a high performance habits journal from Brendan Bouchard. And in there, there is a question that says, I would know that today was a great success if at the end of the day I did, said, or felt this. All right? I would know that today was a great success if at the end of the day I did, said, or felt this. I'm guessing it has to do with manifestation and visualizing what it is, projecting what it is that you want to feel like, and then working backwards from there. So a while ago, I realized that most of the answers that I put in day in and day out sounded something like this to that particular question. I want to feel like I am caught up. I want to not be stressed about getting back to clients. I will know that today is success if I'm able to give my all to my kids after work or if I don't feel overwhelmed with life. These are the things that I saw that I was writing down. Now, there are lots of reasons why I felt like this, but underlying all of it was probably the sense that I had going all the way back into my 20s with these recurring dreams of trying to take on too much, trying to say yes to too many things, trying to get more, more, more out of life. And maybe this sounds familiar to you. Here's what I hear from my clients, people like you who are listening to this podcast. Do you want more money? Yes. Do you want more clients? Probably. Do you want better clients? Absolutely. What about more creative projects, more referrals, higher prices, higher conversion rates, more inquiries? I'm guessing that if you listen to this podcast, those things sound like you. You want more, more, more too. But the question is, when is enough enough? When can you say it's good enough for now? There's a thing called hedonic adaptation. And it comes from the Greek word for hedonism. And in there, it means something about pleasure, right? It's about feeling, experiencing pleasure. And what hedonic adaptation says is that we become accustomed to whatever level of pleasure we're receiving at that particular time. And to get more pleasure, we have to go out and seek more to feed us, feed that appetite for whatever it is that we're looking for. It's like a drug addict. Once you reach a level of adaptation, you have to get more of whatever it is that's stimulating those neurochemicals in your brain. And what ends up happening is that many of us end up going through life on this hedonic treadmill. We go and go and go and go. 
always in the direction of more, more, more. We want more pleasure in life, whatever that may be. But we never get any closer to reaching that finish line, to reaching that goal, because what we seek, we find, and then we see something bigger and better in the immediate future, and then we go after that. And then once we reach that, we keep going towards the next thing again and again and again. And it ends up as that race without a finish line. A race without a finish line. Now, I've run a marathon. I've run a very long race. Back in 2015, when I was living in Dallas, I was needing some motivation to stay in shape. It was hard for me living in the city. I just moved there and I was doing okay, but I needed to burn off that energy. And so I started running. Now, I played sports when I was in high school. You could say I was a bit of a jock, but I never really liked running without any other purpose, like a ball or something that was there. So I needed some sort of motivation to do that. I needed to have a goal to reach. So I set the mark with the marathon. I was literally not a runner at all. I couldn't even run a mile, but the marathon was less than four months later. So I had to figure out a way to go from couch to 26.2. And what I did was I asked my brother who had run a lot, what kind of training program I should get on. He said, check out Hal Higgins. So I go, I get the Hal Higgins app and they have this opportunity to go from couch to marathon. Now I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I also knew that I could do it with the plan that was laid out for me with the mileage charts and the dates. Every single day of the week for 20 weeks was laid out. Now I didn't have a full 20 weeks, but I kind of jumped in and picked up about a month into it. And I got to tell you, that training was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I had to get out three days a week and run three, four, five miles during the middle of the week. And then I had to run a ton on the weekend, the long runs. It was one of the hardest things I did. The training was actually harder than running the marathon. But I knew that it was something that I could do because I had this plan. It was laid out every week. and It made me feel like I could actually accomplish it. I didn't have to worry about it or even think about it or second guess what I was doing because I had the app. I just put on my shoes and I go out and I hit the trail. But here's the thing. Most wedding pros don't have a plan like this for their business. Sure, you have a number you want to reach. Maybe it's 20 weddings a year. Maybe it's $5,000 for an average wedding. Maybe you've even gone so far as to do the arithmetic and said that you want to make $100,000 revenue in that year. But this is like saying you want to run 26.2 miles or that you want to run at a nine minute pace or that you want to finish in under four hours. Sure, you could set those as goals, but the question is, how are you going to get there? How are you going to get 20 weddings? How are you going to average $5,000? How are you going to make hundred grand in a year? Chances are you don't have a step-by-step -step plan. Now, my marathon training program told me each week what I needed to do, how many miles, what percent of my marathon day pace I was going to run at for that particular training program, when to practice being in a race, what to do on my off days. It was easy. It was a recipe. And even though I couldn't run a single mile when I first started, that was okay because my training program had a plan for every level experience and skill from runners who trained for multiple marathons each year to newbies like me who had just gotten started. Now, just this week, I talked with a couple of new clients who are running into challenges of not having a solid plan in place. Like most wedding pros, they don't have a week-by-week -week approach to generating revenue set down so that they can follow it. 
One of my clients told me that he wanted to do 18 weddings in 2022. Now, this was our first session. And so we went through the calendar just to see where we were and how many did we need to pick up in the year for the year so that we could put the focus on that short term. So we're there, we're two thirds of the way through the session and we reach this point. So I ask him, where are you at? And he pulls up Dubsado and he starts counting. One, two, three, you can see he's looking at a calendar and counting up the dates. We go to 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Yep, 23, he says. So the goal was 18, but he already had 23 on the books. He, had, he was on like mile 35 of a marathon. So what do we do? We close the year down, no more bookings for 2022. And we spent the rest of the coaching session blocking time off for a vacation and talking about possible destinations and what would need to be done in the coming months to make that happen. Now, he thought that his issue was booking more events. That's why he hired me. But in reality, it was something else entirely. And I knew we needed to get him a break to re-energize his batteries if we were going to have any opportunity at tackling the biggest issues with his business. Now, another client recently told me that she couldn't do a follow-up call with me for six weeks because even though she had capped her wedding count at 10 for that year, seven of them were occurring over an eight-week stretch and we were right in the middle of it. Too busy to spend just an hour on the phone with me to make sure that that didn't happen again. But here's the irony. 10 weddings was the goal. Seven of them occurred in an eight-week stretch. But there was nothing booked in July, September, or October. Clearly, we don't have full control over when our clients book their dates. Most of us are happy just to get the calendar full to reach that 18 or that 10. But we got to go into it with a plan. And the best place to start is to reverse engineer a revenue plan that charts that course and fills your calendar with dates that realistically give you what you want from your business. And this can be quite simple. In fact, none of it is really hard. But I do want to point out that it's not as easy as I've heard others explain it. When I hear other people in the wedding industry often talk about how to set up a revenue plan or, or build a budget or set your pricing, Here's what I hear them talk about. It's called a CODB approach. CODB, cost of doing business. Here's the formula. This is the formula that I hear quite a bit. It starts with your cost of doing business. So you take your CODB. These are all of your expenses. And then you add on to that number how much money you want to make in profit. So your expenses plus your profit equals the amount of revenue that you need to receive throughout the year. Okay? Pretty simple arithmetic. Then you take that number and you divide it by how many events you want to do. You just make up a number. I want to do 10. I want to do 18. I want to do 25. I want to do 40, whatever it is. So you take your total number of how much money you want to make and you divide that by the number of events that you just arbitrarily decide that you want to do and you come up with your average price that you need to charge for your services. And this is where a lot of wedding pros start by setting their prices and then they carry on and do this. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this doesn't work as effectively as other pricing strategy, but here's the biggest. First and most importantly, it's a complete fantasy to base your pricing and your revenue goals based on what you want and you desire before you look at what the market can bear. 
it's not taking into account reality. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I want to make $10 million and I only want to work 20 hours a week. That'd be a thousand hours, $10 million divided by a thousand hours. That's going to get me a really high rate of pay. Now, if I was a wedding pro and I'm like, you know what I want to do? I want to make 300 grand and I only want to work 10 events. My average event is $30,000. Well, is that realistic? I don't know. Probably not. Do you even have enough inquiries from qualified couples to fill the dates at the prices you hope to charge? It's not as simple as arbitrarily picking how much money you want to make and how many dates you want to work. That, that jacks with the math. It's not always realistic. It's almost always more successful to set your prices based on what the market can support. You've heard me say this over and over again. You've got to look to your couples to tell you how much you can charge. Because pricing does not exist in a vacuum. Prices are not absolute. You have to take them in context. They're relative to the comparable services and prices that your potential clients, these couples who are inquiring with you, what are they seeing from other wedding pros? What are they looking at when they get numbers back from other people like you who are proposing their services? Because if your services and your reputation and your branding are very similar to someone who charges half or three quarters of what you do, it's a hard sale to make to that couple. If all things are equal, the only thing that's really different is the price. It's hard for even an expert like me. Now, there's a lot that you can do to provide a clear understanding of what your competitive advantages are, to change the conversation, to make sure that they understand what you do and how it helps them. And that's a communication strategy that you've got to put together. But most wedding pros don't have that. Now, we do that for our clients, especially when we write copy for them on the website, in their sales proposal, other pages of marketing collateral and sales collateral they send out. But most wedding pros aren't doing this. You're just presenting what it is that you do. I offer you these services. It costs us much money. So as you put together your revenue strategy, make sure that you're being realistic with a few different things. How much can you charge in your market when set inside your comp set? How much can you realistically charge in your market and in your comp set? Number two, how much money can you make next year compared to this year? How much growth are you going to see? I see a lot of people in the wedding industry who are focused on 50%, 100%, even more growth year after year after year. But that's just, that's just not likely. That's not probable. Fast growth is hard to come by, maybe in your early years. But after four, five, six years in business, you're going to start to level out a little bit. That's just how it normally goes. Otherwise, you're, you're going to end up burning out. You're going to end up overstretching what it is that you can do well. Now, the third thing that you've got to think about when you're putting together a realistic revenue strategy is how much you'll need to work to make that happen. Not want to work, but need to work. It's probably not realistic that you're going to be able to do half as many events as you did last year and just double your rates. That's just not realistic. So we want to make sure that we're looking at incremental improvements, whether doing fewer events or raising your rates, as you're thinking about how many events you want to do this year, how much money you want to make. But you've also got to pay attention, not just to the total number of events. And this is what I want to end with because it's so, so important. So many wedding pros tell me, I want to do 15 events a year, 20 events a year, eight events a year, 30 events a year, whatever it may be. But it's not just the total number of events that you do in a year, 
the wedding industry is too seasonal. And the amount of work that we have to do on a Saturday or Friday or Sunday or whatever day of the week it is for that wedding, it's too intense. It's, it's not like a regular business where you're looking at annual sales goals. It's really important for you to look at the amount of work that you're doing in any given time of the year. Don't end up like my client who's totally overwhelmed this spring and can't even make room for an hour to talk with me on the phone for a session. And also, don't end up worried half of the wedding season because you aren't doing any events. Everybody else is out working, putting out fresh content, and there you are at home watching Netflix. So instead of thinking about how many events you want to do each year, I suggest looking at how many you want to do each month, or if you want to look at each quarter. All right, how many do you want to do each month? Two a month, three a month, four a month, one a month, whatever it may be. Or you could look at it in the spring, I'm going to do six. In the summer, I'm going to do four. And in the fall, I'm going to do five. Whatever it may be, however you want to break it out, but chop it up into smaller blocks of time. Because this will prevent short term issues that stress you out. Being overwhelmed in a very short period of time. But it will also stave off long-term challenges like burnout. My experience is you'll end up doing more business with less suffering if you break these up, these revenue goals, into seasons, months, or quarters. And that's good for you. And that's good for your family and for your friendships. And it's also, and this is really important, good for your clients because you can be there for them in, in great spirits, excited about their event rather than just suffering through it. If you want to prevent this recurring nightmare of overwhelm and always feeling like you're behind. Remember me trying to get to all those guests at the Olive Garden or, or see all my family and friends in that house? Then you need to set boundaries on what it looks like to finish your work. You have to know when work is done. Set that line and also make sure you have a plan that's not too general. Break it down into manageable milestones. Don't look at it as 26.2. Look at it as mile one, mile two, mile three. Your business, like your sleep, should be filled with fun dreams, not recurring nightmares. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 